This is Hearts of Oak Podcast. Free speech, religious disagreement, children's rights, and open and free discussion on any topic are bedrock to a democratic free society, and we seek to promote and champion these basic rights. Join us. Let's keep the conversation going. Today, I'm delighted to have Ivor Cummings with us, the fat emperor. Ivor, thanks so much for your time today. No, no worries, Peter. Always good to chat about real truth and accuracy and avoid misinformation, shall we say. Which is uh, fast and thick and furious and being thrown at us from every angle. I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, watching your your different videos. I know you recently you've done Dr. Pierre Corey, who we had on. Uh, you've um, obviously been on TNT Radio. I saw, I think, recently uh, with Darren Denslow, who's who's been on with us quite a number of times. And I think your title on that was Technical Manager, Biochemical Engineer, and Technologist. And obviously, you've got your background in biochemical engineering. Uh, probably over the last couple of years, uh, you've been been very vocal on pushing back against the COVID tyranny, and then it's, it's much wider. And I think from 2012, you've been researching the root causes of modern chronic disease, uh, focusing on cardiovascular. And I, I'm sure that over the last three years, a lot has been added to that that you weren't expecting. But maybe you just take a moment and introduce yourself before we get on to what is happening in Ireland and the criminalization of speech. Yeah, absolutely. So briefly, I did biochemical engineering. I graduated in 1990. I spent five years in medical device and development of dialysis units and all that kind of stuff. So I got a lot of medical exposure there at the time. But then the next 20 years plus, I was on high volume kind of uh, electrofluidic devices. And it was great because it's extremely complex when you have around 10 sites around the whole world making products. Uh, billions ultimately of complex devices the slightest problem or the most subtle problems it can become huge you can lose millions of dollars overnight so i was the master problem solver ultimately i ran large teams on the most complex problems multi-factor and i did that for 10 or 15 years 20 years and i was also a manager as well of teams of up to 20 engineers directly people managing them that was great experience so I just got this vast experience in um, complex problem solving and people management and essentially a form of politics, corporate politics, which was also very useful. And what we're seeing since COVID started, coming ultimately from Rockefeller Brothers Fund in the 50s, right through Club of Rome, Trilateral Commission, Council of Foreign Relations, UN, the EU. I'm beginning to view those as a complex problem solver as almost synonymous so they're all so interconnected and countless NGOs and corporates and the World Economic Forum that people find it hard to believe, well, how could this be orchestrated? Who could possibly organize it? And it's actually quite simple. It's a long game plan for a global governance structure. And it's funded by the people at the top and the most powerful political people and the US State Department has an interest. And they're all working for around half century or more since the Second World War towards a very tight, well-controlled global government. And yeah, it's not that hard to orchestrate because all the right people are doing it and they're doing it like we did things, corporate style. It's very structured. It's full of lovely language. It's got lovely goals that sound great. 
it's obviously highly sinister under the hood. But um, yeah, it's not that complex. But most people don't have the corporate experience to be able to decode something like this, find all the players and just see the whole picture. And that's the problem. Just like people have no knowledge of virology or epidemiology, you know, uh, they or immunology. So you can fool the people with ease. And that's the challenge we've been seeing. And that's what I jumped into in March 2020, because I could see pretty quickly, I have five children. I could see where it was going. <laughs> it wasn't hard. And uh, I just knew that this is kind of the battle of our generation. Uh, there's no question about that. And if we lose, we'll have a China-style society in the West. And that's pretty much the outcome. Yeah. Um, and... Uh, I, I respect those huge. I think Naomi Wolf actually mentioned that from day one, whenever it was announced shutting down Broadway, uh, then they, her and her husband left uh, New York immediately. Uh, others has taken a little bit longer to see through. You're hoping for the best in institutions, in society, in media. Uh, I think we've realized there is uh, no best there. But what, what has been then your last three and a half year? Because that's a, a world away from a background in uh, the, the biochemistry, the research. Uh, what you're doing now is is so different. So, I mean, let us know that change and what that has been like for you personally. Yeah, it's, it's certainly been interesting. May you live in interesting times. So 2012-13 up to 2020 when COVID hit, I was deeply involved in biomedical and metabolic research, and I was going all over the world speaking. A wealthy Irish entrepreneur was funding me to travel all over the world to conferences, medical and nutritional, and to explain to people how what caused heart disease, Alzheimer's, most of the solid tumor cancers that caused the most death. And all of these modern chronic diseases go back to the devil's triad. So very simple, I named it that. It's sugar, refined grains, refined carbohydrates, and vegetable oils, seed oils. And that's what makes up most processed foods, which is around 60% of everyone's calories. So essentially, we're poisoning the population for nearly a century now. Uh, so I was lecturing on all of that and on insulin resistance, which is the big thing you measure, because that's the target you have to get down low, and then you're, you're pretty much okay. Uh, but then when COVID hit, I had been so involved in the corruption of the statin kind of industry, the cholesterol-lowering nonsense. Uh, I'd been involved in a lot of drug corruption. Uh, and also, back in the 90s, I'd actually been directly involved, not personally uh, doing things, but older engineers were doing things completely against the rules. And it was common practice, you know, in biomedical manufacture. And I'm sure that never changed. So I had all this experience in the corporate corruption, I had all the experience in my own corporate roles in the last 15 years, again, in the corporate politics and corruption. And I had all the medical and biomedical knowledge now and metabolic. So when COVID hit, I was on stage in Denver, big room, and giving a talk. And then I came down and Trump was shutting down the country. And I said, what the hell is going on? And my wife had said previously, she had said, should we get masks? Now, she's a first-class honors engineer, and she's aware of a lot of my work, uh, but she assumed COVID was a big deal. And I just smiled, and this was early March, I think. And I said, not at all. Sure, I saw the Diamond Princess data. And you could see from who died and who didn't that it was going to be a bad flu equivalent. I mean, there's no question about that. The ship had shared AC. 
Uh, they were crammed together. They got 25% positivity. It was an extreme maximizer of infection. So you see the end result. And a few people in their late 70s and late 80s passed away. That was it. So we knew. But I, when, when they shut the airports, I said, okay, they're going to pull a swine flu. And they're going to pull a big swine flu, a scam. And got back to Ireland. And after that, I just I started interviewing immunologists, virologists, epidemiologists. Because when I root cause something, constantly I check with my massive network. And my massive network of specialists in all the medical fields grew rapidly because there are a lot of people out there who were seeing that this was crazy. And so within a few months, I knew not only everything you needed to know about COVID, the mortality impact, the lockdown ineffectiveness, mask ineffectiveness, seasonality. I cracked the whole lot with the help of my network. And I began to explain it in lay, layperson's terms. And that's when I began to get smashed, put in the newspapers and censored. And even though I didn't talk any anti-vax, any crazy stuff, everything I said was referenced to government data. I was very careful. But in September, my viral video shot up to millions of views. Half an hour, just me with slides, just explaining all the factors in COVID, just what it was. And the New York Times did a half-page article on me like whoa <laughs> a half page hit piece on an irish engineer but at that stage i knew that this was a total orchestrated scam there was no question so it didn't actually surprise me that the new york times devoted half a page to an irish engineer because it's the system and the media particularly were owned and my video had corporate ceos they actually said it in the article uh, a leader in the COVID scam in the US, I forget his name, said, I have people from major companies, CEOs coming to me asking, is this Irish guy right? <laughs> so it, it shocked them. Just truth. Just truth. That's all it was. Well, I think we learned people are hungry for information and that information is becoming can be more difficult to access. But I want to go, I mean, I'd love, pick up, I'd love to pick up on that, on the CDOs. Fascinating. I know your book, uh, Eat Rich, Live Long, is available. Links are in the description, and people can get a hold of that. And that health is a fascinating <coughs> topic. But I want to talk to you about Ireland and the restrictions on speech. I mean, Ireland has had um, incitement to hatred, hate speech laws um, for, well, I think it was 89 or 90 was introduced. The UK has had it across Europe. But what is happening in Ireland at the moment with this new piece of legislation uh, has really woken a lot of people up. I mean, I saw an article in Newsweek magazine a couple of days ago, and they were saying this cannot go ahead. This is Orwellian hate speech. Do you want to just let us know what exactly uh, has been proposed in Ireland? Yeah, well, for sure, you're absolutely right, Peter, to refer to the 1989 Hate Speech Act, because that was actually very good legislation. It is still 100% perfect legislation for what they claim may be a problem because it is quite powerful. It's been used, I believe, 50 times plus. And if you go out and make hate speech that could uh, cause injury or cause hatred towards people or minorities, yada, 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 they can go after you, no problem. So the law is there, it's perfectly functional, needs no upgrade. What they brought out, it seems to be, I don't know, a Soros, an NGO, 
uh, coming down from the UN, maybe using Ireland as a test case for the most extreme madness that they're willing to try out in the test bed of Ireland. But what's in it is just lunatic. Now, people listening, they know it's terrible, and it's great to hear Newsweek featured it. And it is, of course, Orwellian. But the extent to which it's insane, I can't even believe the bad guys want this or wrote this. So essentially, there's layers of madness. One is that they don't define hate speech really at all. And uh, Michael McDowell, the former attorney general in Ireland, was fantastic in the Irish Parliament, questioning the justice minister on this point. It's not defined. And he said, I've heard the reason discussed for not defining hate speech was it could make it more difficult to convict people. And he said, that's the point. It should be difficult to convict in, in these kinds of matters, so it should be defined. So you get the right guy. So that's one point. It's not defined. There's around 10 groups arbitrary that they've listed out, like traveling people and trans and sexual and gender, all this nonsense, none of whom has a problem anymore with hate speech. There is no far right in Ireland worth a toss. None of these groups have any real issue, right? So that's the, that's the other layer, not, not defining. And the other thing is that they put in that a single guard based on someone whispering in his ear can get a local, very low-level court warrant and come into your house and take everything, anything and everything. It's like, wow. It can be diaries. It can be phones. It can be computers. They could take them for weeks, I would guess. And if you don't give a PIN number, that's also listed as an offense. If you say, I don't know the PIN for that. It's an old phone. That's an offense with six months in prison potentially and, and a big fine. That's another insanity. And when they take it, if they find anything under the undefined hate speech kind of thing, right, they can say, well, okay, that's private. You wrote this down. You could write a diary and you could say, oh, I hate this group and I don't like that group and I think they should be thrown out. Whatever you want, which you're entitled to. Of course, you're entitled to write that stuff. Wouldn't I wouldn't agree with it, but if you if you believe that, go ahead. Keep it to yourself. It is up to you to prove to a judge that you would never in the future have shared that. So it's guilty until proven innocent has been put in this. It is thought crime. It is 1984. It is minority report. Remember the movie with Tom Cruise? Yeah. They see that you will commit a crime in the future using you know, futuristic technology and they come and arrest you. It's like that, but, but, but much worse because your private writings, memes, God knows what's on your computer from stuff you've downloaded or sent to you. You have to prove you would not in the future share that. I mean, it is just beyond nuts. Hopefully, you know, well, you know already. It's, it's just insane. I keep using the word insane for this because I'm blown away. Even me after three years of COVID, people need to understand that. It is insane. There's no other word. Um, has this come in? I mean, the, the UK have obviously got the online safety bill. That, that's a, a, another issue. And then the EU passed a bill, proposed a bill, which now passed just days later. Um, 
But this, you're right, I, it's difficult to understand when legislation exists to tackle a so-called crime or injustice. Uh, and that's already there. And everyone says that can be used. And there's no issue with it being used. And then something else is brought in place, supposedly to correct a problem that isn't addressed, and yet it is. Um, and it is this confusion i guess um and of course we don't have the media reporting this or asking why it's simply well are you for hit i'm not a for hit therefore you want this bill um i mean talk to us about the the pushback on this and has it been scrutinized at all yeah there's no there's no scrutiny at all i mean basically we know now and it's not even controversial i think Recently, a TD or an MEP, an Irish MEP, was asked, oh, what do you think of coming back to Ireland, back to Irish politics and the Doyle? And he said, well, no. And he casually let a cat out of the bag. And he said in the interview on record, he says people don't realize that over 70% of legislation comes from Europe down to Ireland. So he said, to be honest, I'm, I'm better off over here because that's where the control is. He didn't say control, but he, he said the first piece. And that's it. So essentially, I would say this is the simple way to view it now. Over the last couple of decades, increasingly, and now it's largely complete, when people go into politics, first of all, people got to remember the skill that brings you into politics is the opposite of technical, mathematical, logical. You go in there with so-called people skills. You know the type, Right. So they go in there and they're kind of useless technically. Anyone can fool them, even though they're cunning. Anyone can fool them technically. And with legal matters, will fool them. So the people that go, go into politics now, especially in Ireland, we're like a vassal state of EU, UN, WEF. You know, we're really bad. That's why we had the longest lockdown in Europe. So they go in anyway and they quickly find out, political people find out where the power is. Like this, a lady said years ago about Washington, when you go into the, the Senate in Washington, an old guy said to her, you got to lean to the green. And he didn't mean environmentalism. He meant the dollar. You got to lean to the big guys with the money, the lobbyists, if you want to be successful. So in Ireland, they go in, they quickly find out it's all about the EU and keeping the big boys happy and the UN and the WF. And if you get invited to Davos, oh, my God, that's the pinnacle of Irish political success. So you get the idea. So when it came to the Doyle, this legislation, they all just said, oh, yeah, yeah, great. Oh, hate, love. Oh, we're all lovey-dovey. Oh, trans, you know, Ukraine, all this stuff. So all the politicians just signed it off. Didn't even read it. If they read page 10 and 11 and they had a brain, they'd say, oh, my God. But they didn't. You know they didn't read it. They were all told it's great and they all signed it. And then when it was coming up to the Senate and then it would go to the president, then people began to get wind of it yeah. and began to talk about it. And then it became a problem. And then Elon Musk began to talk about it and said, what the hell's going on in Ireland? And then they started saying, oh, he's right wing. He's an anti-Semite. There are politicians judging Elon Musk. It's like an ant judging God. You know, it's just like crazy. So also, I think it was someone connected to Trump, not Trump himself, made comments on how crazy it was. And then they did a big article, oh, Trump, Trump doesn't want it, you know, because they know people think Trump's bad. It was propaganda to the power of 10 because they wanted it true and the media wanted it true. 
you know, the media wanted it through. So luckily the Senate actually, it, it didn't go past and it got delayed. You know, that's all they could do. They delayed it. And then shockingly, based on the uh, stabbings of some poor children, actually migrant children, I believe, they used the anger in the public from the gross excessive uncontrolled migration in the last year or two. There's anger. 75% of Irish people or more in a Red Sea official poll said immigration has gone way too far uncontrolled. It needs to be pulled back in control. So the majority in the country believes that. But the anger that's there in the country, smaller percentage of people are very angry. And a bunch of hoodlums caused a riot. They smashed windows, burnt buses. They didn't beat anyone up and they didn't go after any migrants. They did a smash and grab spree on the back of public sentiment. And with the children being stabbed, it was an opportunity. It's happened before. Nothing to do with far right. Nothing to do with political ideology. It was opportunistic from a bunch of hoodlums in hoodies. And the video showed that. And the government actually used that problem that they caused, right? They then tried to flip truth upside down and use the problem to ram the insane law through. You couldn't make it up unless you knew how loathsome low lives our politicians are and how utterly controlled they are from the NGOs and all the other groups up top. It is just shocking, right? Well, I won't down the Irish politics side, but you need a catalyst. In the UK, the catalyst for the online safety bill was the the stabbing and murder of David Ames, MP. And that immediately everyone came out and said, we need this online safety bill. Even with that individual was possibly radicalised in his local mosque, but that's a conversation you weren't allowed to have. So we'll just focus on... Um, uh, we've seen the issue there in Ireland um, and the government have not let... Uh, have not wasted the opportunity to jump on that. I, I was even looking at that and thinking, is this contrived? Uh, I mean, governments need a catalyst to push forward. And if something happens, they can point and say, look, we told you so, this is why it's needed. And everyone comes together. Um, I mean, what were your thoughts on, on how that happened? And has that been the main catalyst or have other things happened to push it forward? Yeah, I, there was talk of, you know, there's always talk of kind of false flag. Hmm. And don't get me wrong, there's a ton of false flag and there's a ton of Hegelian kind of mechanisms that have been used since all of human history. Problem, reaction, solution. You create a problem, essentially. You then use propaganda to get a big reaction to it. And then you come in with your preordained solution and everyone goes, yeah, we'll take it. So COVID's a classic example of that. A lab created grain, gain of function virus. It comes out. They see that it's got a little bit of uh, pathology to it or pathological effect. It's going to kill older people mainly. And they big it up. And then they say they have a solution, right? The vaccine. Okay. So, so that, there's a lot of that. This one here, I really think, because I'm a logic and data guy and I go on probabilities. That's the center of my universe. The overwhelming probability, I would say, that guy has not worked, I believe, in 20 years since he came here, uh, the person who did the stabbing, and probably has all kinds of issues. And I think they've even referred in some articles to some of that indirectly. They don't want to identify him. 
I think that was just a happening. And we saw it earlier. A girl was stabbed by, by again, a migrant who, who had issues. And even locally in my area, a similar thing occurred a few years ago. A very tragic case for the family. So these things happen. You know, when migrants come to places, sometimes they're under pressure. They don't have the language. They develop issues. So I think that just did kind of happen. Um, but the exploiting of it, well, like I said, is just criminal. And the reason it blew up, if that was a very rare occurrence and it just happened, and it wasn't after a year or two of increasing public discomfort, like the poll said, they know that the, the towns around Ireland, little towns are getting stuffed with migrants. And they can see their young males mainly. They're not women and children from Ukraine. Come on. This is obvious. I mean, down in southeast uh, Wexford, there was a nursing home being built for a community of 1,200. And a couple of weeks ago, it transpired that suddenly it's not being built. It's being built in a different direction for 170 young male migrants. Young male migrants, unmarried. And they're looking at bringing it up to 400 over time. Now, a 1,000 people marched. And of course, the media all sniffed and sneered at them like they're far right. It's their community. It's it's insane. I mean, the numbers that came in the last in the last six or twelve months is like a hundred k, and the graph of the numbers coming in went through the roof. And O'Gorman, I think the the minister last year, he he did this. It's on the record. Sent out a tweet, not in Ukrainian, in Ukrainian, Georgian, and African languages. And he basically said, Ireland's open. You'll have a house within four months. We get you a phone. We get you loads of money. Whatever. I don't know what was in it. But it was translated into all like African languages and everything. So he's on the record. They want to flood the zone. And the reasons for that go back to the pan-European Union in the 30s and speeches in 2009, I think, by... Who was that CEO of Goldman Sachs who became a big UN guy? Not Robinson. Forget his name, an Irish guy originally. He gave a huge speech and he said it outright. We have to destroy nationalism. We have to destroy sovereignty, sovereignty in the EU countries. We have to break it down. And the mechanism, the best mechanism for that, besides pouring U US junk television in right, and phones, you know, the best thing is flood in very different people, ideally young males, and blend the country into a blob so we can get a big blob in Europe without any national identities. So they're actually destroying diversity because we had all these countries that you could freely travel to and see their culture. And then you come back home and you talk about it. That's actually diversity. They're all peaceful, all lovely, but they want to end diversity. They just want to make a blob. Because a blob can easily be translated into a super state or a China-style society. Very hard to do it when you've got identifiable nationalities in Europe. It's so simple, isn't it? This is a hundred-year-old brainstorm strategy that, that's clearly being deployed recently, uh, big scale. That's it. No racism. In fact, last thing I'll say, sorry, I'm on a rant here. It's morning time. <laughs> but Peter, the last thing I'd say, and this is so important for people to know, and understand the people who are using minorities from other countries as cattle 
literally using them as pawns in their chess game to get their globalist Europe and globalist West. They are the ultimate racists because they have absolute scorn and contempt for poor people from all over the world that they're forcing into countries and creating difficult situations where there may be, you know, certain amounts of racism stoked and provoked, you know, like a hornet's nest. You keep shoving in people. You, they don't have accommodation. Our homeless can't get accommodation. They've ignored them for decades. And now they're shoving in hundreds of thousands with, we already had an accommodation problem. What's going to happen? But the people driving this, they are the racists. I am the opposite of racists. My record is clear. They'd love to call me one, but they can't because I have a full record in social media and forever. Absolutely the opposite. In fact, I've often shared anti-racial movies and films on my Twitter, like uh, Kenneth Branagh, 2001, Conspiracy, it's called, about Vonnessy in Germany in 1942 or three. I'm clearly an anti-racist. They hate that. But that said, I, I know racists when I see them. And the people driving the policy are the racists. And of course, there's nothing you can say or push back if your cold names, which is this legislation about offending and finding offence. And if someone has been offended, you cannot prove that in a court that you cannot prove your feelings in court. And of course, when someone calls you whatever, racist, xenophobe, uh, Islam, the list goes on, uh, you can argue and you can push back, but it's already been decided by whatever individual has said. They have decided and therefore you are because they have spoken. And that declaration of speech, you know, truth goes out the window. It's the issue on pronouns. If someone wants to use a pronoun, then they define that person who is a man as a woman, and that must be true. Um, and that kind of removal of truth, not only in this legislation, but I guess across Europe for all the hate speech, uh, which is simply if someone finds offence, then it is decided that a crime has been committed. It's, it's beyond absurdity, but also... It's very malign and clever. So the people I refer to are driving this as a geopolitical crucial strategy. This is not small stuff. That's why it's getting so much funding and backing. It's very important for broader globalist uh, kind of government uh, desires. And to make ultimately, we won't get into detail, the intention is to translate the UN into the world government or for the West. So the UN is being built and built and built. And we can see the insanity coming from Guterres, the head of the UN. We're now global boiling. We're no longer warming. All nonsense. The UN is being teed up. Uh, so there's a lot put into this thing and hate speech because it is important because free speech increasingly could cause a real problem for basically plans that have been grown beautifully for 70 or 80 years since post-World War II. So, you know, too big to fail. They can't let all of the plans of geopolitical, you know, structure and infrastructure that have been built for, for half century, they can't let it fail because people all start becoming aware of it and talking about it. That's why there's this extreme kind of insane zeal to get in the laws because they're important and people need to realize that. And you say you can call, yeah, once you call someone a racist, the judge is going to roll over. That's the sick thing. We saw in COVID, several people brought very good cases 
and they assigned a lower level judge to check if the cases were appropriate to bring forward in the system. I didn't realize they could do this. They did. So there were mask challenges and other challenges. This judge went in and looked at every one of them. Nah, no, I don't think that's, no, that's not required. One judge threw them all out before they even got in the system. So you know what will happen. If the government don't like someone, they'll try to nail them on this law and the judge will be in the pocket. The judges now are no longer really independent. We saw that in COVID. They know where the wind's blowing and they do their job. A lot of them are appointed, you know. So that's institutional corruption gone crazy. And another one I just thought when you were talking, Peter, there was a communist activist, a very significant person. I can't remember his name, but back in America before the McCarthy era, when America was, there were a lot of activists who wanted America to go communisto or fascisto. And one of them was caught with uh, not emails at that time, but circulars to all their activists. And he said to them, and he was right, very clever. He said, always call our detractors, our opponents, always call them a fascist. Now, he said, be careful. Don't call someone a fascist fascist if it can blow back on you. In other words, don't always do it. But whenever you can, call them a fascist. And he said, if we keep repeating this on an individual, after a while, the people will largely just come to believe it's true. And he said, it's the most dirty word and the dirty label you can put on someone right now. So use it. And you can see now that that advice was excellent, but it turned out it all failed in America until recently. Uh, now they've got Biden and all the rest. They're, they're, getting, they're getting to communism. But um, yeah, exactly that. They know that racist is powerful. If you can make it even stick a bit and get your media to keep repeating it, people will assume, oh, that's the racist guy. I mean, it's shocking. It's criminal. But, but this is the game they play. Yeah, it, the you talked about kind of the seventy year, and I'm, I mean, I'm still blown away. Having grown up in Dublin, Limerick, first like nine years of my life, uh, it was rough. But actually, you had it was conservative uh, as a country. You had Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, polar opposites in theory. Uh, now they're all together, the the yeah. Uni Party. Um, I mean, has has it? Has this been sped up simply with the, the bailout um, after the financial crash with Europe then calling the shots? Because if you look at Italy and Greece, they've kind of held on to their um, um, identity. And mm. Ireland has always been known for a strong identity. That seems to have gone out the window. Um, obviously, COVID has, has sped things up and that's part of it. But is it the crash? Is it that Ireland is now beholden to Europe because of that? Or um, talk mm. to us about that, because the collapse in Irish society has been unbelievable. Yeah, I think it's not so much the bailout more is the symptom of the problem. I mean, the fact that Ireland kowtowed and the EU, the EU flooded the zone with money. They told Ireland, flood the zone. And the little Irish went off and they flooded the zone for the EU overlords. And it suited them because there was money everywhere and everyone was happy. And then the, the piper came to be paid and they went with cap in hand and they gave away all our money to the bondholders. So I think Ireland back then was just a biatch, really. Uh, it wasn't that they got them then. They'd already got them. So I think it's been many decades, Ireland, maybe partially because of the history of the British rule, 
the Irish became culturally doffed the cap to the big man. They might grumble, but they doffed the cap. So Ireland, over the last 30 or 40 years, we saw it with all the referendums. They were rammed through or run several times to get through. The Irish intelligentsia politicos, Europe was the big boy. And they, they dropped to their knees for Europe all the way. And then they took in the corporations, did the double dutch, the tax thing. They're allowing them to get away with 1% effective tax rate. So they played the kind of beggar to the American corporations. And I think over 50% of our GDP now is biotech and pharma. So we're just kind of biatches for the pharma sector. So you can see Ireland has made itself into a kind of a rent boy on the global market. Let's be honest. It's sad, but that's the way it is. But people are waking up to that and begin to realize, my God, our whole echelon of politicians are actually, by definition, essentially traitors because we're voting for them and they're immediately giving their allegiance straight up the chain to, to forces outside the country. So they're actually technically traitors. So that's, I think that's kind of what happened to Ireland. And um, it, it showed in the longest lockdown in Europe. It shows in the hate speech laws, a test bed for this craziness. You know, it shows in every interview when you see these goons we have up the top. It's just disgusting, like, right? Uh, and was that, that, was that the, the total question about why Ireland? Uh, did I miss something there? No, just uh, it's... I find it curious, having grown up there uh, first ten, nine, ten years of my life and just seeing that collapse. And you kind of think, that's not the Ireland that I knew growing up. And then you realise it's not. It's changed beyond all recognition with no media pushback, uh, no political pushback. And then if you don't have Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, you've got Sinn Féin, you're thinking, mm, could this thing get worse? <laughs> okay, I'll tell you something about Sinn Sinn Féin, I mean, Sinn Féin during COVID... The government did the most insane, crazy-ass, unscientific, damaging, nonsensical measures, the worst in Europe almost. And Sinn Féin were screaming at them to do more. I mean, I'm not joking. They were literally screaming at the government, you know, saying, you're not keeping us safe. That, and it was the same on all the issues. So Sinn Féin are an unmitigated disaster. They're the opposite of opposition. So they play this pantomime, and I think there's a hashtag, politics is panto, and it's so true nowadays. It's a freaking pantomime. And Sinn Féin go up and argue with the government, and the government argue back with Sinn Féin. It's all a joke. It's all a club. At the end of the day, they are all aligned with each other, really, at the Doyle Bar and behind the scenes. And the reason that are all aligned, this is the important thing, I've said it already, they all understand there's big power structures in the world and we kowtow to them. Therefore, there's no point arguing amongst each other except as a pantomime for our voters. That's it. I mean, it sounds, it sounds kind of conspiracy theory. It's basic geopolitics. Now that we have a world structure of World Economic Forum, UN, EU, and I mean, recently, Professor Werner, who invented quantitative easing in '95. I interviewed him. He's an expert in central banking and all the political. He worked for the Japanese government during their financial challenges as a direct advisor, chief advisor, learned Japanese, fluent German, fluent English, masters, PhDs from Oxford. Brilliant man. But he told me something that I actually didn't realize. He said, you know, the European Parliament has no real power. It's a talk shop. 
the European Commission decides the laws, the Commission, and the Commission are essentially not elected. And he said, you know what other region in the last 100 years had that exact structure? And they've almost taken it from them. Soviet Union. <laughs> they have a parliament, people aren't too aware, and they have a Politburo, a commission, and it's the same structure. The parliament, you let them all talk and pretend that they're, they've got some control, but the party decides. He said essentially, and he said one or two or a couple of Russian historians have noted this in the early 2000s uh, academically, that fascinatingly, Europe is recreating the Soviet model. Hmm. And people don't know that. And of course, under that model, the EU Commission, who are diplomatic immunity, no army or police can enter their grounds under any condition, a bit like central banks, they decide the parliament then blah, 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 everyone blah, blah, gets very high salaries, tax-free. All the people from the countries go over there and suck on the teat of Europe. They have a great time, you know, meals for everyone, best of steaks, and they'll blah, 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 blah. Uh, and that's that. And then the countries, of course, they just off the cap increasingly. You look at Hungary, you know, they say, we don't want to do this. And if you go against Europe, they get, take the whole European media and they feckin' bury you. They bury you in accusations of far-right, nationalistic. You know, they take away all the EU money. They cause you pain. So this is what we have. We have a new Soviet structure that wants to become a Chinese social credit-style full totalitarian structure. It's just what it wants. The organism of the geopolitical top strata in Europe, they want the full power. They just, it's just, it's natural. It's in, the, it's in the DNA now of the whole structure. It's not any one individual or one bad guy. Yeah, it's driven primarily from, from the late 50s by Rockefeller Brothers Fund and all the other bad guys and NGOs and CFR and all these groups and the Club of Rome, they're all pushing one way and that's it. It's simple, guys. It's not the big conspiracy theory. It's just geopolitics has gone the wrong way for us. And a lot of bad guys have ended at the top. That's all. Happened in Rome. Jesus. Yeah. And 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 you see pushback across Europe with the rise of populist parties. Ireland and the UK sadly are sitting on their backsides with no, but that's a whole lot. I just want to just finish off on where you think this um uh, the bill will go. It's been what my understanding was been in the Senate since maybe July, so it was passed up. It's been sitting there now with uh, with more scrutiny. Um, where where does it go? Because the the police obviously will be have to be sent out to police um, all these tweets, which I thought they could do under the legislation, but this is darker. Um, I, is there a way of turning it around so uh, we just accuse? everyone on the left of hurtful comments and the police must investigate. I mean, is there a requirement for an investigate? I'm just thinking of how you push back because this is going to pass through. I can't see any way it stopped. Yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sure, Peter. Yes, they say we need a true by Christmas and all this talk, but they're, no one, they're not divulging what's actually happening. So I'm not sure what's actually happening on the ground. 
Mind you, a very senior politician secretly met with me and a, and a team of doctors, surgeons, and businessmen back in September 2020. Very senior. I obviously won't name them in private and pretty much told us that most of the politicians knew most of what I was sharing about COVID. But he said, no, everyone knows you don't talk about it and you support the narrative. So there's that level of institutional corruption. And I'm sure now there's similar stuff going on. A lot of the senators will have found out from their bloody daughters from social media how insane this is, but they'll know, shit, this is important. It comes from the big boys up top. We can't let them down. So, so I don't know exactly what's going on. I'm still hoping absolutely that with the focus on it, that they'll have to hold back their nonsense about these riots being a reason to bring in this insane law. I presume they're thinking, hmm, that's not washing. So I hope it's not inevitable. If it does happen, we, we got a massive problem. There's no question about that. Because once it's in, it is a tool for tyranny waiting there like a nuclear weapon sitting there on the statute books with no place there, a criminal law, criminal in its very drafting, criminal in its drafting. That's how bad it is. It's it's bad. But I guess, yeah, possibly be able to use it against itself. But, you know, the judiciary and all of these bent politicians will be striving to throw out any cases involving it for leftists or nut jobs. And they'll be hyper trying to influence judges and police to use it on the people the government doesn't like. Oh, it's, it's very sinister, isn't it? It's literally a tool of government to suppress people who don't agree with the government, which is treason in my mind. I mean, it might not be the exact definition. I don't care. It's treason. Well, uh, we're all following this closely and praying and hoping that actually it is uh, stopped. Uh, Ivor, great to have you on. Obviously, people can find you at Fat Emperor on Twitter and thefatemperor.com. Uh, they can see all the, the videos, interviews uh, up there on the website. Really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks so much, Peter. And if people are wondering, I'm down south in an undisclosed location. But that's me fox there. I picked it up. It's from an old uh, country estate in Wexford that was stripped. Guy had it for 10 years, got it for 200 euro. Beautiful case, probably 100 years old plus. So anyway, bit of trivia. That's probably a hate crime against foxes. But anyway, we'll leave ah! it there. Thanks, Ivor. <laughs> Good luck, Peter. Bye now. If you like what we do, sign up to our mailing list. Donate, share, and subscribe to our many platforms at heartsofoak.org. Thank you for listening.